0: This is Anxiously with Amy and Lisa. Now here are your hosts, Amy and Lisa. Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Lisa.
1: And this is Anxiously, the podcast where we talk about all the things that make us anxious.
0: Hey, Amy, how are you doing? I'm,
1: well, I'm a little anxious. Um, So it's obviously COVID times, and my building has a sign in the elevator saying no more than two people allowed. It's a tiny elevator. So I'm in there with my husband. We're about to, we're going outside, all masked up, and the doors open, and this woman is like, can I come in there? (laughs) And I'm like, no, like so rudely. I just was like terrified. I'm like, no, please do not. And then I felt bad. I felt like, am I a terrible person?
0: <laughs> I had a very similar experience, actually, the other day. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> what happened? Well, also, so my building has signs all over that say you have to wear a mask whenever you're in a public space. And one of my neighbors came up to me with no mask, <gasps> got no. really, really close, put her hand on me. What? Started talking to me. Touch- and and I, I just... I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I should step away, say something, just continue on as if nothing out of the ordinary was happening. It was a very confusing encounter.
1: (laughs) That's so funny that we both, it's not surprising, I guess. And I actually have an even worse story. I think (laughs) this maybe trumps that. I got into a fight with my sister. Oh, no. About COVID stuff. Yeah, a pretty bad fight. I mean, not, again, not physical, but <laughs> she and I were talking the other day and she was complaining that she was in a store, you know, all messed up, in line to buy something. And the man in front of her snapped at her. He said, you're standing too close to me. And she was like, "Oh, you know, can you believe it? And I was like, yeah, you probably were. (laughs) (laughs) Because I am, like, so paranoid about people standing too close. And she got furious at me. Like, she really, really got mad. And it was upsetting. Like, I'm very close with my sister. And I felt like there was something deeper than just, you know, this little disagreement over... (laughs) COVID etiquette because we're all like navigating that and it's so tense and we don't know how to be but I think like the reason my sister got upset was because she and I have had different philosophies on Mm -hmm. how we're being in these times like I am terrified which should not come as a surprise to listeners of the show (laughs) like I am very very scared of germs and getting sick so I have been trying to hide out as much as possible and the thing is My sister has been totally safe about COVID. She's been following all the protocols and doing everything right. I've just been going to such extremes. And my sister is just a little bit more chill than me in general. She has kids. Like, she kind of has to be in the world more anyway. And so I think we just have a different, like, view on all this. Right.
0: But it's so much like the Wild West. I mean, we're all just flying by the seat of our pants. It's true.
1: It's true. I mean, remember back in, like, early April when they were like, don't wear masks. Masks are bad. (laughs) No, so I have this theory, actually, that the way people are reacting to COVID and how to be is similar to Judaism. So Jewish law has all these rules, you know, like, keep kosher and keep the Sabbath. And I feel like Jews often, especially Jews who aren't, like, ultra-religious— have sort of like a grab bag attitude toward it. They're, right. they're like, you know, I'll eat, I'll keep kosher in the home, but I'll have a cheeseburger outside or I'll, you know, I'll watch TV on the Sabbath and it's sort of like pick and choose. Right. And I do that myself too. So I I feel like that's what's happening with COVID. Like some people are like, I will absolutely not eat in a restaurant, but yeah, my kid will have a play date, you know? So every <laughs> and, and then you judge them too. Like that's, you know, like we're all like judging people for their choices and that's, Making an anxious situation even harder, I think, right?
0: It's really hard to navigate. Who knows what's right? And the rules seem to change, and the ground seems to shift beneath us all the time. Yeah.
1: We still don't totally know yet how to keep ourselves safe from this sickness. And we also don't know how to, like, be with our fellow neighbors, because we're all trying to get through it together, I guess. But there doesn't seem to be a clear path.
0: And we went from no masks, to masks, to double masks, so...
1: (laughs) That's true. Now it's, like, (laughs) double masks, like... It's funny how it brings up these, like, it's this new social terrain to navigate. Like, we're all on Zoom now, and how are we going to adapt
0: back to, like, normal life when things open up again? Clearly, you and I are not going to figure this out by ourselves, Aim Absolutely. (laughs) It's very fortunate that we have a fantastic guest here today to help guide us through this morass. Ben Bramble is
1: a lecturer in philosophy at the Australian National University. Before that, he was a visiting faculty fellow at Princeton, a senior lecturer in philosophy at the University of Liverpool, and an assistant professor at Trinity College, Dublin. He is also the author of Pandemic Ethics, Eight Big Questions of COVID-19. And now, here's our conversation with Professor Ben Bramble. We're so lucky today to have Professor Ben Bramble joining us to talk about COVID etiquette or if there is such a thing even.
0: Welcome, Ben.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. So I have to ask you, when a pandemic hits and everything is in turmoil and it's not clear what the rules are and it seems like the rules are constantly changing, is it one giant case study for you?
2: when the pandemic hit i was not working on bioethics at all let alone pandemic ethics and at first i had very little interest in in working on it and i was ploughing on with my existing work but then i just i found that i kept reading everything that there was to read in the news and it became impossible to focus on anything else and i realized that i i had to devote myself to it i really feel it it's an obligation that philosophers have to get involved in these in issues like this one a lot of people think of philosophers as, you know, up in their ivory towers, working on their abstract ideas. But, you know, fundamentally, moral philosophy is about the question of how to live and how to how to act, particularly when things get very difficult. And so I think we need philosophers to come out of their ivory towers now and help engage in these puzzling questions of how to live in these times. And philosophers have it. It's not merely the case that they're well-equipped to do so they have an obligation to do so, I think.
1: So Lisa and I live in New York City and we're interacting with people constantly just by dint of living in this very compressed environment. And so as a result, every day is sort of filled with this series of snap second decisions about, you know, am I standing too close to my neighbor in the hallway? Do I want to get into the elevator with this other person? They're not wearing a mask. Do I say something? It's it's become very like Seinfeldian almost in its absurdity. Are there sort of guiding principles for what is, quote unquote, the right way to handle those situations? Or is it truly just case by case? This is something that has made us anxious.
2: I think you're right that it is very Seinfeldian. I mean, <laughs> the, the close talker is now five feet.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that.
2: Look, it's a very good question. Are there rules of thumb? I tend to think that it's very much proceed on an individual basis. And it depends who you're nearby and whether they're a friend or a relative makes a big difference than if they are, say, a stranger. I think with strangers really you're you're entitled to do what is best for your health and that is to remove yourself from a situation if it's bothering you we all have a right to look after our own health so i think that yeah if someone's not wearing a mask if someone is too close you you should just get out of that situation as quickly and politely as you can i wouldn't i wouldn't raise um the ethics of of they're not wearing a mask i would just extricate but things change greatly if it's a friend or a relative or a loved one who is a little bit lax.
0: When you're dealing with a relative or a friend, somebody you care about and they're doing things that you don't agree with, it's sort of human nature to judge what we feel might be bad or incorrect decisions. How do we sort of navigate that as people in a network or in a community?
2: I think some people think that you've got to put your personal relationships first, and so it's more important to preserve the the health of a personal relationship than to castigate somebody for the sake of the common good. I tend to disagree with that. We owe it to our friends and loved ones to call them out on behavior that is damaging to the common good. So I think you know when your friends and loved ones are not wearing masks, they're throwing caution to the wind, they're acting irresponsibly, I think even though it could cause friction in a relationship to raise the matter with them that's nonetheless, ultimately, in the long run, what's best for your relationship. So even just considering your relationship itself, you should call them out on it. It's not just best for society, it's best for your relationship. And the reason for that is when people are very lax or not wearing masks or kind of throwing caution to the wind, this suggests that they're ignoring other people and they're not responsive to other people and not not sufficiently sensitive to other people. And I think that that can be bad for them. It can be bad for you to be insufficiently sensitive to others. And I'll just say one other thing. Of course, it's very difficult to raise these issues with your friends and loved ones. Very difficult. And it's very easy to be condescending, to come across as condescending. But I think you've got to to find a way of doing it, to merely brush something under the carpet. I think, in a relationship like this can damage the relationship.
1: It's funny because, yeah, in some ways it's easier. And I I will confess I have done this to snap at a person on the street. Again, this is New York City, so it's normal to do this kind of stuff. Like, oh, that guy's not wearing a mask. You know, it's it's easier when it's a stranger because I guess the stakes are lower. But But I don't know. Like, that's probably not great either to kind of lash out like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, things are much better in Australia. There's very little COVID floating around at all. But I have to say, if I was in... The U.S. right now, I, I I wouldn't be lashing out at strangers, however tempting I would find it, because you know they can breathe on you. You know they, they can. <laughs> there's an easy way for them to essentially put you in mortal danger. They can just talk to you. I mean, it's crazy that just talking to someone could potentially kill them right now. It's it's a bizarre situation. Everyone has a loaded weapon.
1: Yeah, it's really sobering. It is in America. There's all these kind of debates going on about mask wearing, and in your wonderful book, you quote Nobel laureate. Mario Molina, who urged people to wear masks so that they themselves don't get COVID. And you argue that that's a mistake that people can be persuaded to wear masks to protect others. To me, that's such an interesting question. And especially in America, where there's so much about individualism versus community, what does drive people more? Is it fear of their own mortality and and illness and wanting to protect themselves? Or is there a human impulse to protect the herd as it <laughs> as it were.
2: I don't like to think of it as a, an impulse to protect the herd. That makes it sound like it's in some way a sort of evolutionary imperative. I prefer to think that as individuals we do care about strangers. Most of us do or have the capacity to care about strangers. We should be appealing to people's better nature. We can get people to, to wear masks for the sake of the common good. and I think this is the direction we should be going a lot of people who aren't wearing masks they're not doing so for the reason that they don't realize how dangerous to others they're not wearing a mask is i think they they just don't realize it you know they're not fully aware of the science and of the the fact that while they might not be in touch with any older folks they might be in touch with somebody who in turn is in touch with older folks and that that these chains carry on and it can explode when people understand better that they're not wearing a mask it's not just about protecting themselves, it's about potentially killing other people. I mean, that sounds awful, but that's the reality in a pandemic like this. You know, if you don't wear a mask, if you go shopping and you stand too close to someone, that can kill people. That's the point that really needs to be driven home in a as uncondescending a way as possible. When people realise that, they will wear masks, I think. Their their good behaviour will kick in. Of course, there are other factors that work against this and it's, and the whole issue has been politicised and people now, I think, refuse to wear masks precisely because of the politics, out of a political statement, out of an allegiance to certain other ideals. But that's a whole other conversation. And how you how you can turn the country around on that front is a very hard question.
0: <laughs> well, I was actually just about to ask you, people have, have lost faith in institutions and in, in the government in each other. Is there a way that society can rebuild itself and rebuild that Measure of trust.
2: The way forward has to be regulation of social media because it's social media, it's the echo chambers of Twitter and Facebook that has given rise to this disinformation culture and allowed people to get trapped in their own little ways of thinking without getting any exposure to outside views. I mean, it's almost a cliche to say that now, but I I, I just think that's the reality. There's no other way, I think to improve relations among people in America than to get us all back out into some kind of public discourse and get us out of these echo chambers. And that, that applies not just to people on the conservative side of politics, but people on the left as well. We need somehow to be able to be talking to each other again. And when we do meet people who have a different political mindset to ourselves now in person, we tend to be so different from them in our perspectives and the emotions run so high that we don't even broach these topics in person. We ignore it. When we are together, we don't have the opportunities to discuss because we've become, we've been drawn so far apart and I think it's incredibly damaging. Yeah.
1: One thing that was happening in New York back in the spring when we were the epicenter and hit really hard people started this communal gesture of clapping outside their windows at 7 p.m. every night clapping for healthcare workers but in your book interestingly you note know, you felt that we owed it to the healthcare workers not to clap actually so i'm really curious to hear your take on that
2: clapping is is all good and well when it's accompanied by you know strict observance of lockdowns staying indoors wearing masks and so on. But when it's not, and when a lot of people in society aren't doing those things, it can come across a little bit like you're sort of trying to trick healthcare workers and other essential workers into continuing to do these dangerous jobs. You're trying to make them feel good about what they're doing in a way that might induce them to keep putting themselves in danger when you're not actually doing the sort of trivial things that can really protect them. And I think there's some bad faith in that. And I think a lot of healthcare workers, at least in the UK, I'm. not sure about America, but they were picking up on this. And they felt like some of this clapping was a little bit insincere. Mm. That said, I I think a lot of people were clapping out of true gratitude. And they had only good, good feelings toward these healthcare workers. And they were observing lockdowns themselves. So a lot of the clapping was, I think, very good. But there's just this concern, I think, about clapping. I'd much prefer to see governments protecting their people properly than us having to pat our most important workers on the back for taking risks that they shouldn't have to take in the first place.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it was especially in March and April here in New York when every day there were news stories about how the medical workers didn't have enough PPE to protect themselves. It was really, I can't even imagine how terrifying it must have been to go to work.
2: I think these people are, you know, they're beyond heroic. I mean, many of them are kind of forced to go to work economically, but uh, many of them aren't. And A lot of them are going to work because they've chosen these professions, especially in the medical field, because they care about people and they're willing to take risks for the sake of others. And these are the people who should truly be recipients of Presidential Medals of Freedom. I'd like to see after all of this for them all to receive some kind of major public recognition and perhaps a financial compensation from governments.
0: That would be amazing, yeah. Going back to COVID etiquette, Holidays, Passover and Easter are coming up and some people's parents and grandparents might have been vaccinated, hopefully. Do you think there's any circumstance in which it would be acceptable or safe to have a family gathering?
2: Gosh, well, look, it's, it's tough. And the point about vaccination really does complicate things. The vaccines are highly protective against severe disease, but they're not entirely foolproof or failproof if you're going to meet with your parents and they've been vaccinated and you haven't, you run a risk of infecting them and all of the things that can come from that. So you run a risk definitely, but I think I think also even just getting to where your parents might live, you can infect people on the way. if it's a long trip, there are all sorts of opportunities along the way for you to to spread the virus if you have it or to pick it up and then spread it, you know the virus is not yet under control in America and i think I think it's important for Americans to continue to do the hard yards and to deny themselves social opportunities until, just for a little bit longer, until the vaccines really start to kick in and, and get this virus under control in America, as they will in coming months. And I know America has been in lockdown now for an obscenely long period of time. It's hard as in Australia to really understand what that involves, lockdown fatigue. I know it's real. And it must be very hard. But I, I really feel like you've got to keep going just a little bit longer. The end is hopefully near. I guess you've got to find a way of letting down family members easily without hurting their feelings. That's that's the really hard thing, I, I believe. How do you say, Dad, I'm not, I'm not coming in a way that doesn't break his heart? That's very hard to do. And that requires real sensitivity and tact. Very hard to do. But, it, but you've got to try it, I think.
1: Is there any kind of one golden philosophical rule you could offer kind of as a guiding light for how to handle these various situations that come up in these the choppy waters of COVID times?
2: I think the key is to try and see things always from the point of view of the person you're talking to. Always try and understand where they're coming from, what they're thinking, how they might be feeling. That's That's always the key. If you don't understand that, then you're not going to say the right thing. You're going to mess things up. If someone is unpersuadable or will be inflamed or agitated by you saying a certain thing, don't say it. You know, in that case, let it go. But if you think that you can make progress, or you think that you owe it to your friend or loved one to say something to to help wake them up to the the dire state of things and what's necessary to help get America out of it, then find a way to to say that, but do it in a way that doesn't risk inflaming them or minimally risks that, and you know exercise love because it's a very difficult situation for everybody even people who aren't obeying social distancing and wearing masks you know they're suffering as much as anyone and and we need to be sensitive to them as well
1: i love that exercise love that's a really good advice in general and reminding us to have empathy for our fellow man <laughs> especially in these times where things feel very dire
0: so our final question is is there anything that makes you anxious And if so, how do you navigate it?
2: Oh, my God. Everything makes me anxious right now. (laughs) Welcome to our show. (laughs) The only thing that doesn't make me anxious is your your kind and welcoming manner. Being on this show is probably the least anxiety-inducing thing I've done in a while now. But no, look, Australia is in a very, very fortunate place with respect to the pandemic. Good luck and good policy has meant that there's no, there's almost no virus here at all. And life has been normal here for pretty much the whole year. So we've been blessedly fortunate here. But I am anxious about America and for my friends in America and the future of the country. I'm also anxious, I suppose, about the future of the world because, you know, we can only get out of this pandemic if the world cooperates. And we've seen that the world is not very good at cooperating Say on climate change, to take a, another sort of existential threat. <laughs> um, yeah. We need all the countries of the world to come together and cooperate. Because if the virus remains rampant in any country, it's not going to be eliminated for good. We need to get rid of it everywhere if any of us is to be safe. And the prospects for that, I think, are a little bit dim. So I'm anxious about that. But I do think it's, it's amazing the progress that's been made in the vaccines. And I think even better vaccines are coming. So I think that these aren't the only vaccines for for COVID we're ever going to get. They're working on better ones, ones that more directly reduce transmission and infection rather than merely reducing the severity of disease. So better vaccines are coming. I think that we will will be able to talk everyone or enough people into taking these vaccines. So I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But yeah, I'm certainly anxious about how far away that light is. I want to go overseas again I want to come you know, I, I, I want to <laughs> yes. come and visit america we I have friends and relatives in America who I desperately want to see. I can't come there, <laughs> and they can't come here. yeah, Australia's in a good position but but we we definitely feel the pain of the rest of the world. Mm. I will tell you this though because it is in keeping with the theme of your show. I was in Princeton, New Jersey, back in March, and i I got the the hell out basically i I caught the first plane I could back to Australia because I think many of us could see the writing on the wall. And I was the only person on, on my flight's back to wear masks. Wow. I even had the goggles, you know, because at the time
1: yeah. people,
2: were, people were saying, oh, it can be transmitted through your eyes. So I got, I got this pair of goggles. And I'll tell you, as I, was, as I was going through airports, you know, LAX and so on, and on my flight, I got so many strange looks. People were wow. looking at me like, you're a crazy person. But I, you know, I did it and I reveled in that a little bit. You know, it was kind of fun to be the crazy person.
1: Yeah. Well, you were the smart person, it turns out.
2: But I, I think that's actually a good tip for how to, you know, if you feel like you're you're being a little bit over overboard or over the top, revel in it, you know, own it. It is a little bit silly maybe in certain cases to go overboard or to be too safe, maybe it's a little silly, but if you feel like you, you want to be or you need to be or you are obliged to be, do it and revel in it. It's a crazy situation. It's a global pandemic. Who could have anticipated this? Let's be a little bit silly and, and do social distancing properly and wear masks. Anyway, I, I know America is in a very dark place right now and, and, and there's pandemic fatigue, but a little bit longer, a little bit longer America and, and life can maybe go back to normal.
0: I hope so. Well,
1: I appreciate that advice that it's okay to overreact because I do that. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we we both do that. <laughs> so it's good to get that stamp of
0: approval.
2: Oh, that's good to hear.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Yes, thank you. It was so nice to meet you and to speak with you.
2: Well, thanks for having me on. It was, it was nice to meet you too. I appreciate it.
0: So his directive to exercise love was really fantastic. That was a great reminder. And I have to say, I
1: also really like that he said it's okay to go overboard with safety measures.
0: has <laughs> and to revel in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I appreciated that. <laughs>
1: I know. I know. No, that was um, great. And I hope we can kind of navigate these waters a little better now.
0: Yeah. What are you doing this week to feel less anxious?
1: So I have a funny story for you that harkens back to an earlier episode. I ventured into the wild world of cooking, cooking chicken specifically. And cooking, oddly enough, had started to become something that was feeling a little less anxiety-producing, which was amazing for me. But last night, I hit a snag. I decided to make chicken for dinner, and my husband helped out, and he ended up sort of taking over the actual cooking of the, the chicken. And I decided when the chicken was out of the oven that it had not been cooked enough, even though we measured it with a meat thermometer and everything. Once we, like, actually started eating and cut into the chicken, I was I began to obsess. And I was like, the chicken looks pink. I don't know. It's not cooked enough. And I wasn't letting it go. And... My poor husband, he started to sort of laugh at me because it was so ridiculous, and he started to choke on a piece oh of no. chicken. Yes, which was terrifying. It turned out he was actually okay. It wasn't like death choking, but he just, it kind of went down the wrong way. But of course, because I'm me, my mind jumped to death choking, and I like leapt out of my chair and like tried to perform the Heimlich maneuver, and my <laughs> it was just getting more and more and more ridiculous. And my husband was like stop I'm okay like you're making it worse and anyway so and he was fine it was all it was all within seconds and it was totally fine false alarm but I think the moral of the story is don't forget about chicken because your spouse might choke
0: (laughs) as he's laughing at you (laughs) exactly exactly
1: so I thought I was better about chicken but it turns out I still have a long way to go
0: (laughs) well you're continuing to work on it so good for you
1: How about you? Is there anything that's helping you calm down more a little bit this week?
0: I bought a thick stack of canvases, and the kids and I have been doing a lot of painting, which is always quite therapeutic.
1: Yeah, that sounds so nice, especially, like, good cold weather activity.
0: Yes. Not being able to go outside with them as much has been really hard.
1: Well, according to Professor Ben, there's a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to it.
1: (laughs) After all that, Lisa, are you feeling a little bit less anxious?
0: I am feeling less anxious about interacting with friends and neighbors and strangers alike. How about you?
1: Well, I'm still feeling very, very anxious about COVID, of course, but less anxious maybe about the the social awkwardness of it all.
0: Good. So as we always say, I know you get it, Amy. And
1: I know you get it. And we hope everyone listening gets it too. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Bye. Anxiously is brought to you by Tablet Studios. Our producers are Josh Cross, Sarah Fredmanator, and Robert Scaramuccia. Our music is by the best band in the world, Low Cut Connie. Please rate and review us on iTunes so more people can find us. It really helps. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at AnxiouslyPod. And if you have feedback or questions about the show, email us at anxiously at tabletmag.com. For more information about the show, head to tabletmag.com slash anxiously and check out all of Tablet's podcasts at tabletmag.com slash podcasts.
2: See you later.